Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today, church? It is so good to see you this morning, and again, a big welcome. If this is your first time or returning time, welcome. And for all of you joining us online, welcome. We love you, we miss you, and we look forward to the day when we get to be shoulder-to-shoulder and a little more face-to-face. But until that day, isn't it good to know that we don't have to be in any one place to meet with God, rather our God meets us wherever we may be. Isn't that good news? And so today we're going to worship Jesus a little bit more. My name is Josh. If you are new, I'd love to meet you after our gathering. I'll be out at the prayer banner in the lobby. I'd love just to say hi to you and get to know a little bit more about you. And if you're joining us online, please let us know how we can serve you today. You can hit the prayer request button and one of our leaders will reach out to you and love to help you take your next step or just hear where you are and be able to help you there. This morning is a great day to be together. Now, I know every Sunday we say that, but this Sunday, I really, really mean it. And here's why. We're beginning a brand new series today called How We Got Here. And we're going to be looking at the answer to the question that so many of us have been wrestling with for so many months of 2020. All right, so let's start this way today. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you can agree with this sentence. And if you're at home, if you're online, I just want you to put the word yes in the chat. Yes. So here's the question. If you can agree or you say, I agree with this, just raise your hand or type yes. Here it is. You ready? How many of us would say that the year 2020 has been at least a little bit chaotic? Any of us agree that 2020 has been, oh, look at that, almost universal agreement. This has been a strange year. Can I get an oh yeah from the church? I mean, we start off this year, everything seems normal. Hey, 2020, life's going to be great. And then coronavirus. Yippee. And then not just a virus, but then the economy begins to have uh, fits and starts. In fact, this week I was away, I was traveling and on the airplane ride, one of the crew members at the end of the Plane ride gets on the PA and begins to cry as she explains that that's going to be the crew's last flight. They were being furloughed. So the economy is up and down and all over the place. And then we have racial tensions growing. We have riots in some places. And not even all that. We also have this thing called a presidential election in which people are so genteel, so thoughtful, so, mm, mm, mm. and not only that, then we also learn whether you like him or not, our president is now in hospital because he and his wife have the coronavirus. And that creates even more chaos for a nation. This has been an unprecedented year for most of us. And the question so many people keep asking, and the question I continue to hear, and that you probably continue to either hear or ask is simply this, how do we get here? I mean, really, how did we get to this place, this point, right here? And everyone's got an opinion, right? In fact, you ask a person their opinion, they'll give you four. And they'll say things like, well, you know, the reason we are where we are, it's because of this person or this group of people. It's because someone somewhere didn't do the right thing, and so now safety and all this stuff. Or it's this political party, that's what's wrong. Or it's, it's, the, it's the 1940s, 1950s South with Jim Crow laws. That's the problem. But how many of us know if you misdiagnose the problem, you won't get the right solution? 
How many of us know that we may see certain things that aren't working right, and there may be symptoms in what we're saying, but how many of us know that if you don't go deep enough to the bottom root issue, it's going to continue causing problems? How many of you have a thing in your yard called weeds? Any of you have weeds in your yard? Some of you go, my yard is a weed. (laughs) If you ever go out and try to pluck weeds, you know what happens if you don't get the root. It just keeps coming back, and often it spreads faster. I'm convinced that as a nation and even as a church, many of us have focused way too much on symptoms and not the source of the problem. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to see what is the underlying problem, what is the root source of how we got here because the reality is, church, we do not have anything to say to the culture unless we know the cause of the problem. And fortunately, God gives us the answer. And so today, we're going to begin by going back to where it all started, all the way to the very beginning, because this is the point where God is going to show us, I believe, give us clarity, give us theological certainty and an ability to speak into the hurt of our culture and maybe even the hurt in our own homes But it has to begin by us going back to the beginning to see how we got here. And so we're going to start in the book of Genesis. And I'm going to make it so easy on you today. If you want to follow along at home or or here, you open your Bible and join me in Genesis chapter 1. This one's easy. You just open the Bible, go past the table of content, and you're right there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In fact, let's do this. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's honor God's word. And I'm going to invite you this morning as we start this series, How We Got Here, let's start together and read this out loud together. You ready? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ten words about how everything begins. Father God, we ask you, don't simply teach our minds this morning, teach our hearts that we would be changed and trusting you more. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all those who agree said, Amen. Amen. Be seated. Do you notice these words? Ten words, and it's how it all begins. In fact, this phrase, heavens and the earth, is a Hebraic phrase meaning everything in the beginning. God created everything, totality. In other words, at one point there was nothing and then God stepped onto the scene and let it be. He begins to create. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. There was nothing before God, but then God shows up and he begins to give life and definition. This is the beginning of the story, not simply of our story or the story of the Hebrew people. This is the story of all stories. This is the beginning point for everything This is the point where God steps in and begins to create from nothing. Now, with any good book, you want to begin with a few of the facts. After all, you need to know um, details like who wrote it, who is it to, what is the purpose of this writing. If you don't know who wrote it, the audience and the purpose often will come to wrong conclusions or feel frustrated with whatever the book is. After all, if you were to pick up a Dr. Seuss book but you're expecting Shakespeare... You're going to be disappointed, aren't you? You need to know the author, the audience, and the purpose. And so let's just start at the beginning. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Let me give you the answer. We don't know all the details. 
In fact, if you look through the book of Genesis, you will never see any line that says, I, Bob, wrote down the book of Genesis. He ain't in it. Now, there are other places in Scripture where we are given hints that most likely Moses, the leader of Israel, compiled most of the Torah or the Pentateuch. Torah, Pentateuch. We'll come back to those words in just a moment. But he would have taken the stories, the oral tradition of Israel, compiled it, and through the inspiration of God, begun to lay out for the people, this is our story. This is where we came from. Now, who's the audience? Well, you kind of get the answer if we believe Moses is the one who compiled and wrote most of the content, then the audience is the Israelite nation. In fact, it's not just Israel in general, but it's the Israelite people after they have left Egyptian slavery. They're in a period of wilderness time before they go into the promised land of Canaan. And Moses is writing to the people, and I'm going to tell you in a moment what he's saying to them, but he's giving them a picture. He's saying, you have just left a culture with a very particular worldview, and you're about to go into a culture with a very particular worldview, and before you can enter in, I need to correct some things. I need you to know what is true, and in this desert period, God is going to begin to teach his people where they came from. Now, let's talk a little bit about these books. Moses, the author, wrote and compiled the first five books of the Bible. We call it the Torah. Torah means to guide. Later, when it was translated into Greek, these first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were called the Pentateuch, which simply means five books. And so these first five books are the beginning story of everything. Now, if you want sort of a picture of it, they're really one story divided up into five different scrolls, and they were intended to guide God's people as they go into the next season of life. Anyone here think we need to be guided into the next season as a nation? God desperately wants you and I to know some truths, and we're going back to the beginning to see it. Now, Exodus through Deuteronomy is grouped together, and this is really the story of Moses and the Israelites. So from Moses' birth, the Exodus, time in the wilderness, until you get to Deuteronomy, where right before they go into the promised land, it is the recording of speeches Moses gives to the people saying, don't forget who God is. Don't you dare forget what he's done. Don't you go into the next season thinking that you took yourself there. It is only a good God who brought you out of slavery and is bringing you into a good season. Church, as we come out of 2020 and as some of these things begin to go past us, let us never forget that it is our good God who brought us out and brings us in. But then, what is Genesis? Well, Genesis is basically how they got there. It's the prequel to where they are. It's the story before the story. Now, Genesis is divided very comfortably into two sections. Right at chapter 11 is where Genesis sort of breaks into two parts. Genesis chapter 12 through 50 is the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, this is the story of their family tree, God's initiating relationship with the people of Israel. But before that, chapters 1 through 11, it's the undated past. It's the moment where God comes in, he speaks, he creates, he begins to cultivate, but man sins and you have great stories, epic events like Cain and Abel, the flood, the Tower of Babel, so many things. So what we're going to do for the next few weeks is camp out here. 
How's that sound? Is it going to be a little fun? We're going to go back to some of these big stories, see where we came from, because these stories are not fictitious tales. They are truthful events that have deep meaning for all of God's people. Let us never be so focused on the New Testament that we avoid the prequel to the story we find ourselves in, church. And so, it's Moses, Israel, the audience. So what's the purpose? Here's the purpose. Write this down. Moses wants to correct some faulty world views. You remember I said that they had just come out of Egyptian bondage for centuries. They had been in captivity under a view and worldview of how everything began with multiple gods creating all things out of destruction, death, blood, and violence. And they're about to enter into Canaan, populated by people who believe that the world was begun with violence, with blood, with death. And in the desert place, God says, I'm going to correct this old view before you go in here because you need to know that's not the story. That's not how it all began. Now, now what's this word, worldview? A worldview is simply how you view the world. It is the lens that you look through to understand what is around you. Uh, you know, Keith, right over here, my buddy, he's got a pair of glasses on. And so your glasses, if they are clear, you can see clearly what's beyond them. In fact, they will help clarify things. But if they're smudged or they are not the right lens for you, you're not going to see clearly. In fact, they will hamper you being able to see clearly. Every one of us has a worldview, a way of seeing the world. And it may be true or it may be false, but we all have one. And they had this worldview. You say, well, what was the worldview? Here's the worldview. The ancient cultures all had stories of how we came to be. For instance, the ancient Babylonians had their creation story called the Ilith. And they talk about how all things began. You say, well, how did it happen? Well, according to the Babylonians, very interesting. There were two gods in the beginning, according to them. There was the sea god, fresh water, sea god, salt water. And they came together somehow and made little babies, baby deities. Well, the baby deities are rambunctious, but daddy God is asleep. They wake daddy God up by accident. Daddy God is mad. Some would say similar to parents on Sunday afternoon nap. And like many of you dads on Sunday afternoon nap, the kids wake you up. What do you want to do? You want to kill them. And that's what baby, what the deity says. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to get rid of them. They woke me up. Well, the little baby gods, they hear about this and they say, we don't want to die. So they all attack daddy God. According to this creation narrative, they kill him. Well, mama God now is mad at the kids because they killed her hubby. So what do, is she going to do? She's going to wipe them out. Well, there's one little baby God who looks and says, well, I don't want to die. So he kills and defeats mama God. He becomes the king of all the gods and uses the carcass of mama God to create the universe. And according to the Babylonians, that is how you were created. How many of you go, oh, that's just it's so heartwarming. I just Blood, guts. That was the view of the world, and that was not unique. The Egyptians had similar stories. I will not go into some of those details. In fact, when we get all the way up to the Greek and Roman cultures, they would say that you and I, we were created not out of great love, but because the Greek gods, the Roman gods, needed someone to worship them and to serve them. In other words, according to the stories... You and I are either accidents or we're products of death and violence and our only value is what we can do for a petty pantheon of gods. Now, does that affect the way you view yourself in the world around you? Absolutely. 
And so Moses says, that is not the story. The story is not that there are these petty gods, but rather there is this good God. In the beginning, one God created all things, heaven, earth, universe, stars. In fact, this one God loves you. That's why he created all of this. He wants to clarify and correct our worldview. Now, here's the reality. In our culture, we do not believe that we are created by many gods, but many believe that we were created by no God, meaning you are nothing more than the product of chance, time, and stardust, meaning you're an accident. Will that affect, affect your worldview? Oh, absolutely. These words mean so much to the people of God. You are not an accident. You are beloved by God, and he created, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So that is the story that we find ourselves. And so in verse 2, Moses continues the narrative. Now, this is very, very important. He's going to give clarity to something that you and I need to really reach out and hold on to this morning. He says, now the earth was formless and Empty. That phrase is the Hebrew phrase tohu vabohu. I love that. It just feels manly to say tohu vabohu. It means chaos. In the beginning, this created space, it was formless, it was void, it was chaotic. Water covered everything. But God shows up. In fact, you see this phrase, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The next time that phrase is used is in Deuteronomy, and it's used to describe a parent bird hovering over the eggs, preparing them, loving them, cultivating them. You see, this is not an act of violence. This is an act of God's love. And he steps into a chaotic space. He sees the chaos. He's brought stuff here, but he knows he's got to now cultivate and organize and fix and set up the universe just right. This is an act of infinite love, but there's a God who is going to step into chaos and bring order. Church, do we need a God today to step into the chaos of 2020? We absolutely do. And the God who did it then is willing to do it again. And so the rest of chapter one is a picture of this God organizing and ordering all of the universe. And so it continues in verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he, notice this, this is an important phrase, separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. He continues in six. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from the water. He's talking about there's just sort of this water everywhere. He's going to separate them so you have clouds above and water below. There's a space or vault between. So God made the vault, separated the waters under the vault from the water above it. And it was so God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And if you continue reading the third day, God then creates land, but he does it by separating the water from the land. He creates vegetation that will grow on the land. And God on the next day, day four, divides the day from the night. So now we have seasons, we have seasons. And then day five, God divides the animals, those that are under the water in the sea and those who fly in the sky. And then day 
6, God separates animals on land, those that are simply a part of the animal kingdom, and humans. We are not the same. God is doing his separating, his ordering, his organizing. It is like a parent. You know what this is like if you're expecting a child. You spend days, weeks, perhaps if you're a Pinterest-friendly parent, you go online and you find all the ways to make the nursery absolutely perfect. And at first it is chaotic. You have paint swatches, you have mess everywhere, but you are organizing, you are fixing, you are preparing it. And God is like a beautiful parent who is preparing the cosmos, the nursery for his child to come. That is the picture of Genesis chapter 1. Now I know as soon as we talk about Genesis, we have some questions, don't we? After all, if you're like me growing up, my first question was simply this. Where are the dinosaurs? I want some dinosaurs. Anyone else want to know where the dinosaurs are? I want to know where the dinosaurs are. Or maybe you're like me. You think, well, no, wait a minute. Adam was created by God. He didn't have an earthly mom. So here's my big question. Did Adam have a belly button? Think about it. Or was he just flat? I mean, what? I just want to know. Inquiring minds. We have questions from the text. And then we get into some of the more uh, difficult or deep questions, some of the scientific questions. Well, how many days were these? Were these six literal 24-hour days? Or were these aeons? You know, the, the Hebrew word for day can be translated age. So were these ages or were these literal days? What's the deal? Now, now let's just pause for a moment because this is going to be very important. And I know some of you will not hear another thing I say until I make this little disclaimer before we move on. Are you ready? We love science in our church. God does not invite us into his family and tell us to check our minds at the door. Can I get an amen? We want to be deep in our thinking, and we want to learn what is going on. We are not opposed to science. And I know some of you are right now wanting and kind of scared, going, well, which direction are we going to go? Are we going to say the earth is very young or very old or something in between or what? And if we disagree, can we all still be Christians? And, and, and can we be at the same church? And... <sighs> I just want to say, take a deep breath. We'll get into those questions. In fact, later in the series, we're going to do an online panel that we'll show and we'll share with you and we'll answer your questions. If you have questions, you write them down, you let me know, and we will attempt to answer all your big questions. But I need to be very clear. We will not make secondary matters issues of unity at our church. You say, well, what's the, what's the primary issue here? The primary issue is, why are we here? Why? See, as Americans, we want to know questions that they didn't care about. 21st century America, I want to know, how did it all happen? I want to know all the little intricacies and the details of how did the people leaving Egypt even think in those scientific terms, church? No. You need to remember when you read the Bible that the Bible is written for all of us, but the Bible was not originally written to all of us. It was written to a particular people who had specific questions, and their question was, are we valued? Did God create this out of love or out of hate, out of anger, out of warfare? Why are we here? Do we have value? And the unanimous resonating point of Genesis 1 is that God created all this. It's not a matter of chance or coincidence. God made you on purpose for a purpose because he loves you and he has designed you to be loved 
by him. That is what you're doing here. And so I'm going to say a few things, and I know as soon as I do, I'm going to be skating out on some very thin ice for some of you. So listen very carefully. I don't want to be misquoted, and I know if you, if you miss here, go back and watch it again or come talk to me, okay? But I want to be very clear here. Genesis chapter 1 is not attempting to answer all of our how questions. It's just not. It's addressing the why question. Why am I here? Who made this? Did anyone make this? Do I have value? Do I have worth? Uh, In fact, do you notice that Genesis chapter 1 is not written like a science book, but rather more like a poem? Did you notice this? Genesis 1 is actually a Hebrew poem. You'll notice the repetition. Um, God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and then it was so, and it was so. There's evening, there's morning, there's evening, there's morning. Do you notice this repetition? It is a poem. It is an ancient poem describing in exalted language that there is a God who knows you, loves you, and wants you to know him deeply. It is a poem describing the why of it all, not all the how. In fact, this is the better way to describe such a deep concept Far more, I think, than if he had said, and this is how this happened, and this is the scientific process. In fact, you know we use certain types of language to describe deep feelings, don't we? Certain language for certain things. Let me give you an example. Um, Michael, will you come on up here, and where's your bride? Abby, come on up here real quick. Run on up here. I'm going to get some help here. All right. Come stand right there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, right there's great. Come on up here, Abby. Now, real quick, uh, I want to just have you guys read something to each other. Just a, just a little love letter. Yeah, it would just be so sweet. Come, come stand a little closer. Okay, yeah. I now pronounce you. No, okay. So here's the way that we're going to do this. I want you to read something. Um, which one of you, though, would you say is maybe the more um, emotive one, the gushy one? Uh, I love that she's just like, you. Okay. <clears throat> well, then, Michael, I'm going to have you... Read this, please. Okay. And just read that whole section, okay? And, and now, look, look oh, at each okay, other. Here there we go. you go. Yeah. Okay, go for it. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. My, my dear. You're going to make eye contact on that one. Um, and whatever is done by only me is your doing, my darling. Here, uh, where'd you get this page from my diary, keep going, man? Just keep going. Um, no, I, I wrote this. Um, uh, here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root and the bud of the bud and the sky of the sky of the tree called life, which grows higher than the soul can hope or the mind can hide. And is And this is the wonder that keeps the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. Oh, isn't that sweet? That's E.E. E. Cummings, a beautiful poem there. And it's describing just this love language, this idea in high, exalted ways. You love her. I mean, I assume he does, right? Yeah. Wow. So this is a way to communicate it. Now, um, Abby, I'm going to get you to read just a little love letter to, to Michael as well, if you don't mind. Just, just read that portion as well. And, uh, and Really, share with him your feelings. I don't know how to pronounce some of this. The first time I met you, I came down with a sudden case of dyspnea. Dyspnea, yeah, good job. Yep. And since then, the central dopamine pathways have certainly been activated, as well as vasopressin and the ventral pallidum and oxytocin and the nucleus accumbens and the paraventricular hypothalamus. 
hypothalamic nucleus. If I may be so bold, there has been some activity in the mesolimbic dopamine pathways. Oh, okay, now you're just talking dirty. Okay, <laughs> let's just, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Now, 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 they both were expressing love to each other. One in very high, exalted language. The other, actually, whether you maybe knew it or didn't know it, you were describing to Michael the process of love from a neurochemical perspective. Now, they both are true, correct? By the way, that, that first phrase, uh, dysthmia, you came down with a case of dysthmia, that means you, he took your breath away. That's what that means. Now, that is a true statement. Question, though, of the two, which better describe the exalted richness and mystery called love? Yeah, him, right? They both are true, but one does a better job of articulating the mystery and the why of it all. Do you get this? Go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you so much. This is what is going on in Genesis chapter 1. They're peeling back the picture and they're saying, this is why you're here. God loves you, and he uses this exalted language that is true to describe a deep thing that is so difficult to understand in a way that people can get it. Do you you see what's happening here? And his whole point is not to say, I want to tell you all the scientific jargon of how you came to be. We can talk about that, but I just want you to know you are loved by God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because he loves you. Now, (coughs) pardon me. Now, this is going to take us into a question often. When we ask the question, how do we get here? It reminds me of the little boy who asked his daddy, he said, Daddy, um, where did I come from? And and the dad kind of goes, oh, boy. And the dad gets nervous, but he goes, okay, um, well, son, he sits him down, and he begins to explain how when a man loves a woman, and he kind of goes through the process, and he, he just goes on and on, and the little boy's eyes just get bigger and bigger. His jaw drops, and the dad goes, okay, i got to keep going. And by the time it's done, the dad had a PowerPoint slideshow. He had everything figured out. He explained it to the little boy, and he says, that, son, is where you came from. And the little boy goes, My friend Billy just came from Philadelphia. (laughs) Moses is answering the question that they're really asking. Where did I come from? In a way they can get it. And this is the way that we need to get it. Listen, knowing the science doesn't change the point. And some of us today don't need any more science. We just need to know that there is a God that loves us. And we need to know there's a God who's not scared by the chaos in our lives, but we have a God who steps into that chaos. And as he did in the beginning, he is continuing to order and organize and fix. And if we turn to him, he will turn to us and he will fix what is broken. This is the beautiful picture. Today, we don't need a science lesson. We need to know that no matter what's going on, God can fix the chaos. Amen? Some of you today, here or online, you don't care about all those details. You just need to know that there's a God who can fix your marriage because it's hanging on by a thread. There are some of you today, you need a God who steps into the chaos with your kids or grandkids. You have done everything you can, but they do not walk with God. Their hearts are cold, and you go, I can't fix the chaos. 
There are others in here, you are desperate because a friend of yours, a relative of yours is sick and they don't know Jesus and you go, they need the healer's hand, not just for their bodies, but for their souls. You have friends who need Jesus. There's some in here today, you're going, I am in the middle of chaos because right now, right now, I don't have a job. I'm scared. I need a God who will step into this space. You need a God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth and when he saw the darkness and the chaos said, I can fix that. We need a God who does his best work in the darkness and in the chaos. That is the point of Genesis 1. How did we get here? It begins with God who steps in and says, I control the chaos because I love you. And there's one final little piece we've got to look at here before we can call it a day. This is the exclamation point to the entire text. It's in chapter 2, verse 2. God has finished creating everything. And we come to the familiar passage that on the seventh day, God rested. What does that mean? Was God tired? Was he just a little tuckered out? After all, that's a pretty big job. There's a great theologian by the name... John Walters, who makes the point, or Walton, who says, all of this, chapter one, it's a poem describing the creation of God's holy temple. In the ancient world, gods resided in temples. That was the belief. And this is a picture of God saying, I will make for myself a cosmic temple. And after all the work of getting it ready is done, God, when it says he rested, does not mean that he laid down for a nap, but rather that he sat down on his throne and said, let's begin. It's sort of like the presidents, the candidates who are running for office. They say you're running until you are elected, correct? But then the president, once elected, is no longer running. Rather, we say that the president is in the Oval Office, and not just in the Oval Office, but the president sits in the office. You run all the preparation, but once all the preparation is worked, the preliminaries are done, the ruler takes the seat and says, let's begin. This is a picture of God saying, let's begin. I don't know where you are today, but you need to know that God says, let's begin. And there's one final detail. Can you hear this? Hang with me. The final detail. In all the previous days, it ends the day by saying there was evening and there was morning the first day, evening and morning the second day, evening and morning the third day as a way of saying, and that day came to an end. But that phrase, evening and morning is not in this seventh day because the writer wants you and me to know that the Lord took his seat on the throne on the seventh day and that day has not come to an end. God is still ruling and reigning. This is a picture that says in the chaos, in the confusion, our God still rules and reign. Final point is simply this. We can rest because God reigns. You say, what is all this about? Today, friend, you can rest because God reigns. Yeah, but my marriage, you can rest because God reigns. Yeah, but my kids, I love my kids. You can rest because God reigns. But, but well, what about our nation? I love our nation. You rest because God reigns. And he'll take the chaos. And for anyone who will simply say, I can't anymore, he'll say, okay, I do my best work 
in the chaos and the darkness, and I'll bring light and life. Some of us need to rest in this for a moment this morning. And so for the last couple minutes, we're going to listen to the words of a song. This is one that Michael, our worship minister, or high school minister, helped set up for us. And it's just a beautiful song. As we, as we listen, I want you to kind of consider the promises, consider the truths. That God reigns over all things and whatever is going on, the chaos you feel, he invites you to rest because he is on his throne and he is in control. So let's listen and let's give to him our chaos and receive his peace. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath. The planets form, and if the stars amaze and worship, so light. I can see your heart and Every burning star signal fire grace And if creation sings your praises so light 